Hello, and welcome to For Your Listening Pleasure, a podcast focused on talking with interesting and diverse individuals and discussing how their backgrounds shape them into the people they are today. I am your host, Mallory Waxman. Today on the podcast, I'm excited to be welcoming two-time Olympic athlete Jason Brown. Jason became one of the youngest male figure skating Olympic medalists after winning a bronze medal at the 2014 Winter Olympic Games in Sochi. Jason achieved international stardom at a young age and is known for his craftsmanship on the ice. But he says no program has meant more to him than the one he took to the 2022 Beijing Olympic Games, a free skate routine to the soundtrack of Schindler's List. In this conversation, the Highland Park, Illinois native and I discuss how he faced a significant roadblock in 2018 after failing to qualify for the Olympics, feeling burned out, and even contemplated retiring at the age of 23. After taking some time off, Jason decided to recommit himself to the sport and prioritize performing for his own happiness. That dedication and mindset helped Jason reach his goal of going to the 2022 Olympics, where he earned a personal best in both the free skate and short program. Listeners, I hope you enjoy this conversation. Jason, thank you so much for joining me today. Would you mind just introducing yourself? Yes. Um, Well, first off, Mallory, thank you so much for having me. It's such a privilege to be on this podcast. And uh, so for those who don't know me, um, I'm Jason Brown, like you said, and I'm uh, an Olympic figure skater. I grew up in the Chicago area in a suburb called Highland Park, and I've skated the last 22 years, and that's kind of where I've made a name for myself um, within the sport of figure skating. I've been to two Olympics. I have an Olympic bronze medal. I was, I am a national champion um, in the sport of figure skating, and yeah, that's, that's I guess, a very short, a very short intro in who I am. No, I love it. And so I think when I talk to athletes, I always wonder, did, how did the sport find you? Because when we're younger, our parents sign us up for different kind of classes. I know I took ice skating at Centennial where I know you trained. Let's just say I yes. was not great on it. And I didn't like being on the ice because I was cold. So that obviously was not my sport, but how did you find figure skating? Yeah. So for me, I was involved, like you mentioned, my parents put me in everything. Like I played soccer and I was on the little league baseball team and I ran cross country and I did gymnastics. And I, one of the sports that I did was skating. And it all started because my sister, when she was in kindergarten, was invited to a skating birthday party. Um, I have an older sister uh, who's two years older than my myself. So she was invited to a skating birthday party and my parents were like, oh, like she should probably know how to skate before we drop our, you know, before we drop her off at this party. And so they did. And those lessons that she was taking led to the annual ice show that the rink put on. And then I was the younger brother that whether, you know, was by choice or by force, went to watch my sister skate at the ice show. And I just remember being up in the stands and just being enthralled by the show. I loved the lights. I loved the costumes. Everyone looked so happy. All the kids like seemed to just like love expressing themselves to music. And I was like, ma, dad, that's like, I want, I want to try, I want to try. And so skating just became one of those additional sports in my schedule. And as I got older, the performance aspect of the sport, like that continued to grow. And I just loved 
sports and I was athletic as a kid. And so the other sports as well, like I, I was driven towards those team sports. I loved that aspect and I loved the athleticism, but there was something about the combination of athleticism and performance that skating had that kept me kind of coming back and wanting to spend more and more and more time at the rink. I just loved picking out new music to skate to and thinking about different characters I wanted to portray while also kind of setting these athletic goals for myself as well. So that really, you know, like anything, it becomes one hour a week to two hours a week. You know, it grows before and after school, six days a week, like it, so like anything. And then um, the more time you spend there, you know, the time spent in other places has to slowly dwindle down. You know, it's crazy while you were talking, this is a really like full circle moment for me. I had friends that were in those ice shows and I remember seeing you when you were young in the ice shows and you had a ponytail, right? When you were I younger. Did. Yes, I okay. did. And I remember watching you and everyone was talking about what a phenomenal competitor you were and people like, I wonder where he's going to take this. And in high school, I remember people were talking about how you were possibly going to go to the Olympics when you're that young did you feel that pressure because you went to the Olympics very young um given the sport which is kind of fun and we'll talk about that because it gives you more runway to keep going back you you know every four years but Mm -hmm. when did that possibility or that dream kind of enter your mind yeah so for me I'm always you know how people always talk about like you have to see it to believe it And I was always kind of that kid that it took physically seeing something to say, oh, I could do it or to start to have those visualizations. So it actually wasn't until I was in the level below the Olympic level. So senior level skaters are who qualify to the Olympics. And when I was a junior, I went to nationals my first year as a junior. And it was in 2010, which was the Olympic year. Um, where it was the 2010 Olympics in Vancouver. And so at nationals that year, I competed as a junior. I ended up winning the junior championships and I stayed that week to watch the seniors. And I remember watching them and being like, oh my gosh, they're competing for an Olympic spot. And it was like, that's when it dawned on me of like, wait, I just won junior. Wait, I just won. So I just won the level below. So that, I could be out there next time. Like it was that moment that it kind of hit me. I was always someone that just took things step by step. Um, I didn't get ahead of myself. Even, you know, as a kid, I never dreamed about going to the Olympics. It wasn't something. It was like, I dreamed about landing my axle or I dreamed about, you know, I was, you know, going to the next level or passing my next test or it wasn't so much of these big sweeping dreams obviously I always wanted to improve and it's I guess when you think about it it's like okay eventually that's that's in the picture but for me it was just always about that next step and so when I won the junior championships in 2010 I was 15 years old and that's when it was like oh okay in four years not even like I hope I make the Olympic team but I just like hope that I'm on the ice with people who will make the Olympic team um, and be part of that group um, and, you know, go from watching in the stands to being on the ice when that, when they're decided. And correct me 
if I'm wrong, but I believe your parents said like, you're not dropping out of high school. Like you are, you have to complete high school. So you just won at 15 nationals. I feel like most parents would be like, forget school where we got to go. Like you're going to get trained in, you know, Colorado Springs. You're going to go to the Olympic training center and like forget school. But your parents are like, no, that's great. But skating's not your whole life. You have your family, you have your community and you have school. So Shout out to Mr. and Mrs. Brown for keeping you sane and level and letting you realize like this isn't your entire life. There's so much more. So how did you balance school and training to that level? Yeah, a huge, huge shout out to my parents because it is so easy to get wrapped up in sport and just have that be your sole focus and your sole identity. Uh, if it wasn't for my parents, that would have happened to me. Um, and at the time I, as a kid, I remember constantly fighting with them, like not obviously not physically, but constantly fighting with them on the phone. You know, I would spend summers at training sites like Colorado Springs. I would spend some time up in Lake Arrowhead, California. There was a big training facility there. And I would, at the end of the summer, it was like everyone else would be homeschooled or you know, be staying there longer. And it was like, I had to go back to school. Uh, and I remember just being like, I need to stay here, mom and dad. Like my window of opportunity is closing. And if I don't stay, I won't be able to achieve what I want to achieve and all my hard work. And like, it, you, you, it was very easy to kind of spiral out and think that like, you couldn't do or you couldn't achieve what you wanted to uh, unless you were in that specific training environment. And it was truly thanks to them that they, you know, they had a, they were so supportive, extremely supportive in every aspect. And their one kind of fine line was you are being raised at home with your siblings by us, and you will graduate from the public high school, Highland Park Public High School, Highland Park High School. And uh, as, as soon as you graduate, we'll support you in whatever you want. And with anything within those parameters, we support you 100%. And so in a lot of ways, looking back at it, I think my parents, by my parents setting those parameters, it made it a lot easier to balance because I knew what I was working with. It was like, okay, I'm going to be at school. And when I'm at school, I'm fully invested at school. The minute I leave school, my, you know, my brain, my mind switches to the rink and I'm there in training. And so uh, I didn't, you know, my coaches were able to take my schedule and kind of maximize it based on what, you know, what the schedule allowed and what my parents were willing to um, allow as well. And so we really just made the most of the situation instead of thinking about everything that I wasn't doing because I was spending more time in school or the things that I was missing out on. It was just like, this was what we were going to do. And the coach was going to maximize what they had to do. The school was going to maximize what they had to do. And it was just finding that balance. And Another little piece of it is there was no social media um, when I was in high school growing up. And so I do think that like, it, I get that question a lot from kids, you know, and parents saying like, how are you able to balance the two? And I think the fact that when I was, you know, I said, I said this before, but very true is like, when I was in school, it was just fully in school. When I left, I was fully in skating. There wasn't this social media where you're like constantly seeing what everyone else is doing. And, you know, you constantly feel like you're missing out on something or, oh, I need to be here because that's where, you know, where everyone's going, or that's what we need to do. It was just like, I left school and it was almost like that world 
like closed that book for the day and then I was on to the next book. It wasn't this everything kind of seeped into one another. You weren't like sitting in class on TikTok saying that someone who you'd be competing against just landed a new move and you're like taking your mind out of English because you are just thinking like I'm losing time. You were able to kind of create two worlds that were really bubbled and protective of you when you were in that world, which we both grew up in the same community. And when I talked to you previously before the recording about just what, who really influenced you growing up? And you said your community, because we were very blessed and very privileged to grow up in a community so supportive and the high school and the teachers and educators. And, you know, I talk to people now who have horrible high school experiences and I don't really remember that at Highland Park. I'm sure there were instances, there's always bad eggs wherever you are, but ultimately it was a very creative and supportive and accepting environment. Yes, extremely. You know, I, all the teachers were willing to work with me, were willing to help. I think it all starts with that conversation, being open to them, being like, hey, so this is my situation. And they were all willing to like, okay, you need to get the work done. Okay, you can either come before school or before your trip or before your competition and we'll, you know, we'll work together or, you know, this is a reach out to one of your friends and they'll give you all the notes or, hey, you're going to make up the exam later. Whatever it was, they were so willing to help work with me and kind of see you could feel the support you could feel that they were like it wasn't like a you missed it yep you missed it oh you're out or oh you get a zero because there was always a way to to make up the work or do it prior or they were just very willing to help me adapt and get it done and then I just always felt so supported by the community and my friends and you know, I know a lot of boys growing up in the sport have a really difficult time with being made fun of or being teased. And, oh, you know, just like all the stigmas that go along with skating, which, you know, stigmas are stigmas. So many of them are not true, but it just becomes that the, the perception of what people have. And for me, I just always felt supported and rooted on and championed by my friends and always they would always come to the ice shows and just like be there and be excited and no matter what I mean there was one year my entire soccer team came to the ice show I played travel soccer through eighth grade and they all showed up including my coach and I just that was like you don't hear about that happening that often and uh I didn't realize the rarity of it until I got a lot older uh because it was such a norm and I just had that support and so um, yeah, very, very and fortunate for that. I, I love that. And that also just shows like what an athlete you are travel soccer and skating up until eighth grade, which what eighth grade were 14, 14, 14, 13, and then, 14 yeah. and then a year later you went national. So that just really, I think shows your athletic ability and you're kind of a chameleon. You're able to morph, which is just so impressive. So you graduate from Highland Park. You're 18. Yeah. Now yeah. what? Like what's the so game I, plan? Yes. So you know what? I was able to work it out with the school uh, where I I graduated with the, I don't really like saying it this way, but I don't know how else to put it into words, but I graduated with the bare minimum to graduate. So like making sure I got all my credits. So it wasn't like I took extra, like how most people take extra electives or. Yeah, you're like, honest, just get me just like, through. What's the requirements? Exactly. It was like, what are the requirements? And 
like in to graduate. And so I was able to move to, I ended up moving to Colorado. I graduated after the first semester of senior year. And then I moved to Colorado for second semester senior year um, because I had finished all my classes. And, and then I came back for graduation, but, um, and prom and stuff, but I did, uh, so in December, I technically graduated high school and then I moved to Colorado and I kind of fully invested myself at that point uh, into the training, into uh, into the skating. And it was coming up the Olympic year. And so uh, that was kind of where my whole focus shifted to. Less of, oh my gosh, I need to make these Olympics and more of, I wanna be able to do the best that I can and kind of get as much experience possible of what an Olympic year feels like so that I'm prepared in 2018. So you didn't was think- truly the mentality. You didn't <laughs> think you were gonna make the 2014 team? I didn't. It was my, um, to be honest, it was my first senior international season. So while I competed nationally as a senior, I was competing internationally as a junior. So like we talked about earlier, I won nationals as a junior in 2010. So 2011, 12, 13, I was all seniors. I competed, but I was like ninth at nationals, eighth at nationals, eighth at nationals. But I took those three years and did international competitions as a junior skater. And so then the 2013, 2014 Olympic season was my first senior international year. And so, and my best finish at nationals was eighth. And they were taking two people, two men to the 2014 Olympics. So it was more of just like, get the experience. <laughs> That's amazing. And I'm thinking you're competing at these international and national competitions with people probably that you've either looked up to skating, or you're thinking to myself, I'm going to keep seeing you over the next few years. How does that feel? Because when you're competing for a spot, you're competing against people that at some point will become a teammate if you guys make it. But you're also competing against people you've probably idolized to some extent or have that like, oh my God, that's so-and-so. No, it was very jarring. It was, you know, it was in terms of nationally, the people that I competed against, like, cause they, because I had been competing at nationals against them, that didn't feel weird, but it was the international skaters that I had seen at the Olympics and looked up to for so long. And you find a lot in Olympic sports where there's a turnover after the Olympics. And so I was coming in for my first year as a senior at the final year of that cycle. And so they were truly all of the people I had looked up to for so long and watched the past four years, eight years, you know, and truly like what you said, looked up to and idolized uh, in the sport. And then to be at competitions with them, it was, definitely like mentally jarring because I would be on practice I like forget what I was supposed to do because I was like watching them do something and it wasn't even like the fact that they were doing specific jumps or whatever it was just like the fact that they were there I was like oh my god I was like whoa and then like wait I'm in this event wait I have to skate wait block it all out okay do do what you got to do so it is kind of crazy and we do this thing called a six minute warm-up uh, before we skate. And that's where six people are on the ice at one time and we skate for 
we have six minutes and it's like what we get before we compete. And then it goes obviously one, two, three, and then we go in order of um, performing. And I just remember at my first Grand Prix, which is like a big senior international event in the short program, I ended up in second after the short. And I was then in the last warm-up group. And then we went on for our six-minute warm-up. I was like in it with all of the people I had looked up to. And it was a really great learning experience. Let's just say that. I like didn't focus well. I was like so wired and like afraid of getting in anyone's way. And I was like, didn't know what to do. I didn't do so well in the long program, but it was a great to learn, but it, it definitely took me uh, for a loop of just being like, whoa, I have to be able to separate it a bit better. And so one thing I love about your skating is how artistic you are. And I was researching and heard that one of your coaches every year, once you would get used to like a certain style or dance would be like, great, we're changing it up. And so you never got to really, it was great because you were constantly evolving and changing. You could kind of jump in and do all these different beautiful routines but you could never be like, okay, now let me practice on something else. Cause you were constantly having to do these different dance kind of themes. How do you come up with the themes? Does your coach say like, this is something you're really good at, or we're going to try this. How does that work? Yeah. Growing up, it was always about pushing myself outside the comfort zone and what outside of my own boundaries. And you know, it was something that as a kid, I remember being a little bit frustrated with because I'd feel, I'd feel like kind of what you mentioned. I would just understand a, a concept or a character or a style of music. And then we're like, okay, we're going to do something totally different. It's like, oh, it's like, wait, wait, wait. But it was, it, it really allowed me to build such a repertoire of what I could do. And it helped me with different learning different styles of movement and being able to be super adaptable and be able to be a way more moldable in the future than you know at the time when you're you're young you're like, I just want to do it because I like it and then it was like but it was much more of like no 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 you're gonna you know look back one day and be like whoa I have this plethora of things but at the moment it's like it is hard to keep learning a new style um, a new genre, play a new character, but it also kept it interesting and kept it fun. And I was, I just always felt like there was something else to explore. So it is really neat. And now looking back, it's, it's the array of the movements and the pieces that I've done. I, I'm so proud of it. It feels like a huge portfolio of just like tons and tons of different styles. And, uh, I love it because now I can pick, I can hear a piece of music and be like, oh my gosh, like, yes, I want to skate to this. And it's not this, I can hear so many different styles and be able to relate to them versus, okay, I only have this one kind of avenue I like going down and that really tugs at my heart. It's, there's it, just so much more. And I, the life for me, at least that way, it's just, it's, it's more beautiful and rich and breathes so much more life. And so it just keeps me coming back to the rink every single day. Cause I just love that performance aspect. So in 2014 was the Sochi winter Olympics and you won a bronze medal in the team event. What was that moment like when you realized that you were actually going to medal? Because, you know, 
one thing as somebody who watches the Olympics, it's like very nerve wracking when the scores come in. Like if you go first, you know, you're not going to stay in first, you're going to get bombed, Mm -hmm. but like, it seems like you almost want to go more in the middle or like towards the end. So you have an idea of scoring where you need to stay a little bit, but when that score came in and you guys realized like, we're, we're going to medal, what went through your mind? Do you even remember that moment? Oh my gosh. Yes. Yes, yes, yes. It was insane. So this was the first time, you know, it was really, really cool because it was the first time at the Olympics that they did the team event. And so it was a new event. And the fact that I got to be a part of it was, you know, like this like bonus cherry on top and being at the Olympics was, you know, obviously another chair, like the whole thing was so exciting. And I remember I did my portion of the event and it went well. And I was like, oh my gosh, oh my gosh. Okay, we're coming. Like, like you could feel like as each skater did their portion in the US team, you're like, oh my gosh, like one more step closer to securing that medal. And the final event, I believe was ice dance. And they were the strongest. They ended up winning Olympic gold in their individual event. Uh, Meryl Davis and Charlie White. And so they were the last event to go. So we kind of knew leading into that event that like we had secured a medal because they were the favorites to win. And so they, and they were like the strongest of everybody. So we were like, okay, okay. You could feel it. And it was like, watching them skate was just this like massive celebration of just like, I don't know. I guess it's like seeing someone a cyclist or a runner finish a marathon, but like them being a couple minutes ahead. So it's like, you could just celebrate with them as they're coming to the finish line. It kind of felt like that. And, um, you know, the scores came up, we secured bronze. It was so exciting. Uh, we were all, I, for me, it was like, I was surrounded by all these U S athletes that I had looked up to for so long. And I was like, I get to be this. I get to be like, and it was just like the aftermath was more and more surreal. Uh, you know, after you know getting bronze, it's like, oh my god, wait, we actually get a like we get Olympic medals, and we're going to the you know the Olympic podium. And um, I remember that night because they do it a little differently at the Olympics. They give the medals at the pl- at the medal plaza. Uh, not at the venue. And so that night we all got into matching USA uniforms and uh, we walked out in front of the Olympic flame and stood on those metal, stood on the metal stand. And I just remember like looking out at the audience and I saw my parents and they were crying and I was crying. <laughs> lots and lots and lots of tears and just having that moment of realization, like, oh my gosh look where I am and also it was like it was one of those like things where it's like then the reels start playing in your head about like what it took to get there and it's like suddenly you have all these flashbacks and it's the first time it's like this moment of silence in a way where you're constantly going 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 and it's like you just stood up there and it was just like everything was still and you looked out and it was like like I said the Olympic flame and my parents and it just was like a very surreal moment, a very, very surreal moment. I mean, I just got like emotional hearing you talk about that. Like you can see it, like, that's just like so amazing that all those years and all the hours and all the sacrifices, like that you got to experience that for the country and for you. And that has to be something that so 
few people ever experience that you're lucky that you're one of them. Um, one part about the Olympics that really bothers me is they constantly talk about, well, next time at the Olympics, we should be seeing this person or, you know, oh, well, this athlete is new in four years, they should be at this level and we'll see him back. We can't wait to see him. Like, can we be in the moment and appreciate the hard work that these athletes have put in to get here? And four years is a long time. Like you could be hit by a bus. You can have like issues with your body. You could have a kid, like you could fall in love and be like, I'm not doing that. Like there's a thousand things that could happen in four years. I would hate as an athlete, if someone's like, so like, are you excited for four years? I'd be like, no, I'm excited right now. Like, thank you. Talk to me in four years. Does that, how does that work in your mind? Like, do you get frustrated because you went to like the 2014, you didn't go to 2018, but you came to 2022 um, or 2021, the most recent ones you were there. What did you feel that pressure to deliver in four years? Because four years is a long time. You know, it's, it's so funny that you bring up that concept because I don't think it was something that I really understood until further on in my career. And it it really, really bothered me later on. And I think it it bothered me more and more about the media and the storylines and it plays with your mind uh, greatly. But it's really funny because I remember as a kid, as a 19-year-old kid at the first Olympics, and they would talk about four years later, to me, I was like, oh my God, like, this was my first experience, and it was amazing, and I learned, and I can't wait to apply it to next time. And I remember being so excited. I was like, four years. I was like, even when I would say goodbye to all the athletes that I meet, I was like, I'll see you in four years. I'll see you in four years. Because it was like the only time that you're all together obviously the skaters I wouldn't say that to because I'll see you at training or I'll see you at the next competition so that was different but in terms of like all the other sports athletes it was like this constant feeling of like oh my gosh in four years I can't wait to see you in Korea we'll see you in Korea which are the next Olympics so it was you definitely felt very um there's a euphoric feeling after the Olympics that you feel like just unstoppable and you can take on the world and I mean, in all honesty, you're at the Olympic Games and you're at the best shape of your life at that point. So you're in that mindset of like, I can do anything. And like the world is my oyster and you're just going to keep going, skyrocketing forward. And every time I feel, so I did a half Ironman and I was like, I crushed it. You feel great. Like all stuff. And then you get like over the hump and it is a crash. You are like depressed. You're like, what am I working towards? I was training all this time. And people are like, are you going to do more races? I'm like, I don't know. Like you, you're in this weird vibe and you get kind of depressed. And I'm, that's just me. Like, as like doing like something on the side hobby, you are at this elite level, won a gold medal. And now you're like, cool. I have to wait for four years. And if I don't make that, then what a letdown. It's gotta be a mind fuck. Oh, there's 100%. There's definitely, you know, everyone talks about like the Olympic lull, like the post-Olympic letdown, the post-Olympic lull, the post-Olympic depression. And I remember even going into the Olympic, hearing about it and being like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. like not really like being like, we're at the Olympics. Like why? Like, no, 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 there's no way. Like that we've worked so hard. And then it hits hard. It hits really hard. And I think, you know, as athletes, I we're we especially at Olympic 
where like athletes that are striving towards that Olympic goal, I think it's like, it is almost one of those realizations where suddenly it's like, it hits you that like, even though you have this, you know, in your mind, this, hopefully this long career ahead of you, it suddenly goes from, I just am looking to the next event, the next year to that, to like, you make an Olympic team. And then your mind's like four years later. And, and it was like, it, it almost, and it, it definitely causes this kind of feeling of that depressed kind of feeling because it's like, you've worked so hard to get to that point. And it's not like, oh, there's that next point in a month or, oh, you know, nationals. Oh, there's nationals next year, which are exciting. And I think, and I love them, but I allowed myself to kind of put it on like a lower pedestal and be like, no, no, but like the Olympic, like I need to get back there instead of like continuing to like even growing up as a kid. And like we talked about very much at the beginning of this interview, it was like, I was just so excited about the next task in front of me. And suddenly I went to the Olympics and it became the next Olympics was the thing that I was fixated on instead of being like, wait, I can't wait for my next program or I can't wait for to learn the next move or I can't wait for the next competition or to visit the next country. You know, it became such a different mentality and it was in my experience it became very destructive what was it like when you realized at nationals you weren't going to be on that olympic team like how did you take that yeah so for me in all honesty i was having a really rough season in 2018 so it didn't come as much of a shock it was still obviously i was like really i I wanted to make it and like I knew I could, but it wasn't as much of a, so we find out about the Olympic team through a text via text is how we find out who made the Olympic team. Um, And what's funny about it is like, we also find out if we, we don't get a text if we didn't make it. So it's like one of those weird things where it's like, you're all waiting for a text to come through. Um, But that year I was, I got a text because I was assigned as the alternate for the Olympics. So like when my text came through, there was like a part of me that was like, you know, even though I like, I had skated really poorly at nationals and it, it I wasn't like, it wasn't, you know, you, you kind of knew it wasn't like, I was like, it was so, I was shocked when I got it. But like, when you got the text, I was like, there was like that glimmer of like possible hope. And then it was like, you've been named an alternate. And I was like, I just, I mean, it was really tough. I mean, I just remember crying a lot. I spent about like six weeks. uh, I went with my, I had to compete. I was assigned to a different event um, uh, a week later. And so I competed at that. I kind of tried to push everything off to the side. I competed at that. Um, And then I just, when that event was over, I just like completely had a meltdown and I was, I stayed with my parents and I just remember, I like, I feel like I cried for six weeks straight. And it was more of like, not even just crying because of the Olympics, but it was also just like crying. Cause I've like kept so many things in and all the, whether it was the pressure or the stress or the, the me feeling like I let people down or the realization that it wasn't, you know, a dream in my head, it was like, actually it had occurred that I didn't make like, all those things and the realization really hit me. Um, and it, 
it was really, really, really brutal, but it like everything, it taught me a lot, but it was, it definitely, I felt very defeated and very broken, but it wasn't as shocking of a scenario. It wasn't like I went into those nationals with all this confidence and like, I was going to make it. It was almost like I was struggling and I was more like, if I get through this, that would be like a miracle. And I, I didn't. So well, it was it, more reality, reality. <laughs> it's, it's interesting. Cause when we talk, you know, before you um, talk about how you struggle with uh, self-worth and it's something I struggle with a lot as well. I think a lot of people do. No one really talks about it, but did that kind of, did that experience make you have to really reevaluate how you look at things and kind of have to rebuild from the ashes? Because I'm guessing that probably exploded a lot in your head. Like you said, you were keeping things in and I'm sure that played into like your sense of self-worth that you were an alternate versus like on the team. Yeah. You know, what's really interesting is it was almost the, I don't say the opposite, but it was like nationals was my breaking point. So it's almost like when you hit your breaking point, how you're almost, you end up becoming like free in a way you have that, like, like, like I felt like nationals, I completely shattered and I broke. And it was like, I it was that time where I had to face everything afterwards. And it was, and that rebuilding phase is very exciting in a different way. Once you obviously get over the <laughs> crumbling stage of that. Um, so it was almost that my self-worth hit its head or hit its peak at nationals or its lowest peak at nationals. And I was just empty and then from there I was able to move forward and address it and go forward but you know for me it was at the 2014 Olympics being in that being reaching that goal and being that you know suddenly the top man in the country I went from you know not really having any pressure to people having very very high expectations for me and at the time, as a 19-year-old leaving the Olympics, it's, you know, I felt invincible and I felt unstoppable. And it was like, I got back from the Olympics and reality set in. I was like, wait, there's a lot more that you have to do. It's not like there's this like, oh, there's this tra- trajectory of just pure, you know, climbing, climbing, climbing. It's like, oh, no, reality is like all the ups and downs, the injuries, you know, you're going to be so many other pieces of the puzzle along the way that you're going to have to navigate. And I just remember through those four years, I felt like I could never live up to what people expected. And every time I would reach another goal or feel like I was improving, it wouldn't be good enough, or it would be, you know, it might be good enough for one person. And then the next person's like, well, you're not improving the way that we thought you were going to, or, you know, you, you, there was just like, I had so much attention on my, on me and it was so exciting until it turned and it became so detrimental just because I constantly felt like a failure. I constantly felt like no matter what I was doing, no matter what I was achieving, it was falling short of somebody's expectation. And so, you know, for me, it was almost like I used, well, if I'm back at the Olympics, 
it would it would prove the point instead of like no no I have to prove it to myself you know and and so then my self worth just kept taking hit after hit after hit after hit and when I got to those U.S. championships in 2018 I walked I skated out to the center of the ice and I just felt like a shell of a person and I felt like if I didn't hit absolutely everything in my program there was no spot on me for the team. I did not deserve it. I did not like, like it was just a weird, it was a very strange mindset to have and a very destructive mindset, but it was like so crazy. You know, obviously the mind is so powerful, but it was just like, there was this such a strong belief system that like, I believed I wasn't good enough. And if I did everything, if there was one thing I missed, like I was not deserving. It would, it would and, prove it would prove that in your head that you weren't good enough if you miss one thing it would reconfirm what was and, going on and, and the, it, it's absolutely. dangerous and the craziest thing is when you talk about reality too is like when you look at things objectively and I wasn't able to do that at that point it didn't you, make sense you can't but look so, objectively when you're in that space yeah and the year before the the those championships uh I was assigned I went to worlds and so we only had two spots at worlds and so and the year before the way that skating works is that the year before at worlds is when you kind of qualify your country spots for the olympics and so I had obviously a lot of pressure going into worlds that year there were only two of us and we were we were hoping to get a third spot for the olympics and that depended on how we how we competed and uh, I just like, knew, I was like, okay, like, come on, like Jason, like you got this. I was one of two people. We did it. We got the third spot, even getting the third spot and being a part of that and going like, it, you know, you, you like objectively, you'd be like, Jason, like you got like, look, like it should have been a confidence booster and like, look, you know, like we have three spots because you and your teammate, we did this. And it was, it, you know, no, it was, it became still, I don't deserve it. I don't deserve it. I like, and it's like, wait, you, how can you say that? Like you, you've got, you were part of getting that spot. Like you helped the country earn it. And yet it didn't work its way into the mind. (laughs) Yeah. Well, thank you for being like so open and vulnerable. I hope that this like conversation helps other athletes or others who kind of feel the same way. Cause I know it's definitely something I experience, and I think the way you described it is exactly it. You're in the cycle. It's really hard to get out, but when you do hit that breaking point, it is so freeing that you can kind of rebuild. And what I saw when I really looked at a deep dive of your skating videos is the years after that, like you can see you matured as a person, you matured as a skater, and you decided to skate to one of my favorite movie scores, Schindler's List by John Williams. How did you choose that score? Because it is hauntingly beautiful. It's a lot of emotion. It's uplifting too. So I think it's actually really interesting. It aligns with what you went through, that feeling and that breaking free. Um, How did you choose that? Yeah. So I mean, so I grew up, um, my family's Jewish. And so I, I, I obviously grew up learning so much about the Holocaust and Schindler's List and watching the movie and studying the film. And just like, it was such a big part of my upbringing. And I, 
remember, you know, as a kid, really loving the score and really wanting to skate to it, but never feeling like I could do it the way I dreamt it. Never could skate. My, I didn't feel like my skating was mature enough. I didn't think that I was, the movements that I dreamed I could do weren't matching what I could physically do. And so I always was like, next year, next year, next year, next year. And finally it became like, I was like, I remember talking to one of my choreographers in, it was 2019. And I was like, I was like, is there anything you've ever like really wanted to skate to that you haven't? And I was like, yeah, it's Schindler's List, but like, nah, yeah. And he's like, no, we're going to do it. No, 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 no. Like, cause I got so used to being like, no, no, no. And he, and we kind of just got into talking about why I haven't done it. And, uh, when I started to really think about it, I was like, I am becoming the skater that I really dreamt I could one day become. And I was like, maybe I am ready. Like, maybe I'm ready to take this on. And I remember he sent me a cut of the music and I sat in my car, I pulled over and I, like when he sent it, I just happened to be driving and I pulled over and I just was crying. I sent it to my mom and she was crying. We talked on the phone. I was like, I'm doing it. Like it's time. It's finally time. And, um, it, 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 I just, I felt like I could tell the story that I wanted to and bring it to the ice in such a mature, unique way. And from, you know, my perspective, and I just poured my whole self into that performance. And um, that year, that competitive season was cut short due to COVID, kind of shutting everything down. And so in a way it let it left the door open to like maybe I can do this another year and finish it off and like have that chance to kind of see it through and so I came brought it back for the Olympics. What was it like hearing the music in Olympic Stadium knowing that there is like this rise in anti-semitism within the world that you're sharing part of who you are, your culture, your heritage, like on such a public stage and knowing that there's probably athletes at the games that don't like, you know, us, I'm mm -hmm. Jewish as well, or have opinions about the Holocaust that maybe are, are false. How did that feel as not only an athlete, but I would say as a Jewish athlete on such a public stage skating to that music I think you know at that time you know obviously there's so much going on in your head and so you know as an athlete you're just you've trained so you, you're focused so much on the training and you've worked so hard that at th those moments you're just like you know you almost kind of have to go numb and not overthink it too much but I remember like in all the interviews that I was doing and anytime I'd be asked about it it's like let my skating do the talking like you will hear the message that I'm trying to portray through my art. And so I just, you know, that was something that I, you know, was very focused on was, you know, I've always been someone that I believe in action. And it was just like, for me, action related into the art and related into just watch what I've worked so hard on. And that's the statement. It's not about my words or what I'm going to say in this one interview or, you know, what's going to happen. It's just like, just, I put it all into the skating. 
And listeners, I'm going to include a link in this episode show notes to that performance because it is a beautiful skate. It really okay. shows how mature you are as a skater. And also it's just like you get goosebumps watching the performance. So you definitely nailed it. And it does Thank speak you. for itself. Oh. Um, I'm sure you get this in interviews and I'm sorry to have to ask, but no, ask are, away. You, are you thinking about the next Olympics? Is that like on that? board are you do you have like a idea of how you want to do it or are you just going to take it one competition as at a time yeah you know it's it's it is a great question I think you know I'm not in that naive uh position anymore where it was like after one Olympics I was like next one next one like it's definitely much more of like I learned from my first experience like you just have to take it year by year and kind of kind of keep setting smaller goals um along the way that, you know, you're, you're kind of after. And then if things kind of solidify and you're like, whoa, like the Olympics are like in a year, like, okay, like let's do this. Maybe that would happen. I'm on the much older side in the sport. Um, even now I was one of the oldest in Beijing. So I <laughs> part of me was like, oh my gosh, like, could I like, I don't know. I think it's it's definitely something where I, I definitely had a conversation with my family. Um, so obviously no one was allowed to go to Beijing um, because of the situation with COVID. And I definitely, like when I finished skating my long program at the Olympics, it was so bizarre because you finished and it was like, you guys got back on the bus and you went back to the village and you're like, did it just, did it happen? Like, was it, was it real? And I, I called my family and I just, we were on the phone and I walked around the village as I was talking to them and I was just crying. I was like, is it over? I was like, is this, like, is this how it ends? You know, and not in any bad way, just like having that realization of, you know, you're so solar, you're so focused and so solely focused on that skate. And then it ends and it's like, you know, as an athlete, you're like, you can't think about what's after. Like, you're just like, up until that point is what I've trained for. Then it ends and you're like, is this it? And I just remember crying and having that, like, you know, I've been in the sport for 22 years and like, is my competitive career over? And it was, it was very hard to comprehend. And at the end of the day, it was just like, okay, maybe, but now let's just take the next steps and see what that brings. And so for me, that was, we had a stars on ice show, which are, which is our post-Olympic tour, six weeks, 24 cities, um, just with all your Olympic teammates enjoying it. It was so incredible. It was one of the best experiences and just kind of ex exploring those opportunities that came along. Cause before the Olympics, it's just very like, get it done. And especially with COVID, it made it even more because like, you don't want to take any chances to possibly get sick by doing anything extra than just train. Um, and so it was just like, I called it now my summer of yes where I just like said yes to everything. And I was just like, I'm going to try it all. I'm going to see what works. And so I taught a lot. I coached, I did a lot of shows, a lot of travel. Um, and so obviously the summer is coming to an end. I have two more weeks of the summer and two more weeks of shows coming up. And then it's kind of starting to figure out what are the next steps? What do I want to do? Is there, you know, I can't say I'm looking at all into four years, but is there even another year of, uh, the sport that I want to do competitively uh, and kind of making those decisions. So I don't know, um, but taking it even less 
you just month by month at this point. <laughs> no, and I think that's a perfect way to end this conversation. And I just appreciate you being so open and vulnerable. And I know regardless of whatever you do, um, I'm excited as I'm sure others will be to watch you. Um, I end every conversation with the same three questions. The first question is, if you had a quote or a mantra that you live by, what would it be? So, so my quote that I like is for me is like, I always do always follow your heart. And that's just a big, you know, I think for me, if you can follow your heart and I think there's no shame in that. And I think it takes so much courage, you know, that it means like when people think you can't do something, what does your heart tell you? Do you want to do it? Is there the desire? Like it's going after that and doing and following that almost shamelessly. Like, don't even, don't question that. Don't question the love. Don't question that if you have that love for something, you can figure out a way to get it done and put value on it and inspire someone. So always follow your heart is like my mantra in life. Um, And when it comes to skating, I've always said my mantra as a kid growing up, I was a really nervous competitor and it was confidence preparation beats fear. And so I'd always say over and over again, preparation beats fear, preparation beats fear, preparation beats fear before I skated. And it was my way of almost being like, I put in the work. I was like, I know you have so many butterflies and you think you're going to vomit, but like preparation beats fear. And so that was my other kind of mantra when it comes to the sports world. I love it. The second question is if you could relive any one day, which day would you choose? So my day, it's like, I don't want to put a, it's sweet, but I don't want to put a damper on it. But my day actually is, so every year, um, my family spends the one week of winter break. It's the day after Christmas, so the day after New Year's at a dude ranch in Arizona. And so it's like my entire extended family. So it's my grandparents on my dad's side and he has four kids. And then no, my grandparents, like my dad's, my dad's parents my grandparents and then they, my dad's one of four and then all of their families. Um, so me and all my cousins and aunts, uncles, and my grandparents are all at the ranch. Um, and it's just an amazing time where we're all together and we eat dinner all in one, like this one long table, we're all the same table and uh, we ride horses and we play card games. And the specific day that I'm talking about is on New Year's Eve. And we all get together that night and we're all in my grandparents' room, like all squished into their room. And we get into a big circle and we talk about New Year's resolutions and kind of we set goals. We talk about our highs and lows of the year. And it's so, so special. And a lot of times the whole family isn't able to make it. Like it's always like a few people are missing. Most of the time it's actually me because nationals are in January. So sometimes I'll go for a few days or unfortunately sometimes not at all. But um, that year I was there over New Year's and the entire family happened to all be there that year. Like we weren't missing anybody. And then um, obviously retrospectively, like my grandma ended up passing away uh, in May that like that. So May. And so it was like, looking back at it, it was like the rarity that the entire family was all together and to have been able to share that moment and be part of that. And 
you know, just knowing that it was so rare because it's just not always all there. As we got older, it was like we all had different commitments that we had to do. And so even though there's always a group that would go to the ranch, it wasn't always the entire group of us. And so the fact that we were all there and it was obviously the last time that we were, we will ever all be there because of my grandma's passing. But I just, if there was a day I would, I'd want to relive that one. It's so beautiful. And part of me is like, oh, I want to invite, like, that's such an amazing way to end a year and begin a year and with family. And I just, I love that so much. It's so beautiful. Um, The last question is if you had a theme song that played every time you walked into a room, which song would you choose? So I would do, do you know that song? I came here for love or came here for love. So it was like, I came here for love someone to hold me down and it's not even because of the lyrics as much of like I just puts me in the best mood that's what it's it's about I'm going to add that to the for your listening pleasure uh Spotify theme song playlist so listeners can listen to your theme song and all the other guests theme songs but that's definitely like a good vibe when you walk into a room I just want yeah exactly like if I just want people to have a good time and it's light and it's fun and obviously there are so many other songs that I that are moving and touching and make me feel all sorts of ways but if I had like one song I just want to like people to jam out and get excited and pumped up and for me that one does it I love it well Jason thank you again so much I know that you have still a few weeks left of traveling and everything so I appreciate you taking time out of your day and um it's been such a pleasure to kind of watch your career go from skating and ice shows in centennial to watching you on tv at the olympics so it's been a wild ride and i'm excited to see where it continues to go thank you so much mallory thank you for having me